0: Bye. Hasta la vista. Last week, we began a series of looking at distinguishing marks, distinguishing traits of what makes a healthy ministry, a healthy church. I started by asking you, why do you go to Newtown Bible Church and not the first church of somewhere else? Or to put the question a little bit differently, how do you clearly and concisely answer people when they ask you, what do we look for in a church? What makes a church healthy? What makes a church one in which God is pleased? When you go off on vacation, what do you look for in a church that you would visit? Or this past year seems to be the, uh, the year of moves. We've had several in our fellowship that the Lord has taken either to Texas or to Ohio or to Buffalo. If God should see fit in His providence to replant you somewhere else and He moves you away, what should you look for in a church? And so we started last week with a Bible study in the pastoral epistles on what makes a healthy church. Mark number one, foundation stone number one is healthy or sound doctrine. We found ourselves in Titus 2.1. Where the Apostle Paul says, in contrast to what he exposed in chapter 1 of false teachers all throughout the Isle of Crete, he said, in contrast, but you speak the things which are fit for sound doctrine. Teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. We ought to be concerned with what we are taught, amen? Ought to be very concerned with what we're taught that we are taught the God of the Bible and His plan, His expectations for us. And I would suggest this morning in our second look, our second lesson, we ought to be concerned with how we are taught. If the goal of the church is to be healthy and flourishing and blessed by God and a mark of a healthy church is sound doctrine. How it was Titus to go about in obeying this command by Paul? If he was told, speak what is fitting for sound doctrine, how do we get the sound doctrine out there? How do we disseminate the truth? I'm glad you asked. It's very simple, expository preaching, expository preaching. One of the clearest lessons we learn throughout church history is that strong biblical preaching is absolutely vital to the health and vitality of the church. From the birth of the New Testament church until today, every biblical and real revival – we're not talking about the counterfeit revivals, we're talking about real revivals sent from heaven. Any true church growth, any missionary expansion, has been catapulted forth by biblical preaching. It is no wonder that Scripture says preaching is the primary means God chose to save those who believe, 1 Corinthians 1 21. It's also the means that the Holy Spirit has chosen to feed and instruct the church corporately, 1 Corinthians 2. Look at verses 1 through 16 later on this afternoon the book of Acts the little historical narrative that Dr. Luke so graciously penned for us when he gives a history of the gospel of Jesus Christ that grew through the power of the Holy Spirit that caused the, the, the church to mushroom when he records the growth pattern He describes it as the Word of God kept spreading. Look it up sometime. Acts 6-7, cross-reference that. In chapter 12, verse 4, and chapter 19, verse 20, several times Luke records the growth of the church being because the Word multiplied. It was proclaimed. Evangelicals have devoted countless resources and attention to to novel church growth strategies even by discounting preaching in favor of attracting through clever marketing campaigns and entertainments and social activities and other techniques they have borrowed management philosophies from the corporate world they've taken their fashion cues from entertainment industry and they've imitated the communication styles of secular mass media favoring sound bits over substance in much contemporary ministry they rely more on modern technology to amaze and impress rather than teach and edify usually I've got a powerpoint and it wasn't because of what I was going to say that I shied away from powerpoint I like doing powerpoint because it gives me I can just print off the notes and you can follow along there's nothing wrong with using powerpoint that's not what I'm getting at here But when somebody is relying on gimmickry to produce the power and the growth and the substance, there's something drastically wrong. John Broadus, who has taught a lot about preaching, was one of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary's founding faculty. And he famously remarked, quote, Preaching is characteristic of Christianity. In other words, you don't have Christianity without preaching. He said no other religion has made the regular and frequent assembling of groups of people to hear religious instruction and exhortation an integral part of divine worship. People want to do away with it. I could take preaching books off my library shelf to show you those against preaching. You got uh, people like. Uh, Rob Bell who published uh, Reinventing preaching he said why why do you gather all these people and have these uh, extremely long monologues where you bore people to tears in today's society we've got images replacing words to a fault you look at the power Of any true biblical enterprise, missionary expanse or revival or church growth, it has been through the power of the Word of God and nothing else. The power of the Word of God spoken through the human voice is seen as the Bible's unique power to penetrate all dimensions of human personality. You look at idolatry which was condemned by God Himself. Man wants to fashion an image of his own making, whether it be through stone or wood or the golden calf around the fire at the bottom of Sinai to represent God. And God has not revealed Himself through images. He has revealed Himself through revelation. Word revelation. He has chosen to be heard and not seen. That is significance, beloved. Or significant, excuse me. That is significant. That He's chosen to be heard. That He has given us the Word of God, not the picture of God. You know, preaching is part science and Part art. If we are to proclaim the truth, you can describe it somewhat as science. It is you got fixed laws of interpretation. Why why would I sit in my study cave with some, some brothers here at the church to take them through hermeneutics? So that they can learn to do word studies and study the grammar and the syntax of how words are put together on the page of inspired scripture? looking at verb tenses and historical background and geography and culture so that we can unpack an objective message given by God. That we must not get wrong. So that we not have contrived meaning forced upon a text. So God wrote the Bible to communicate objective truth in definite words that have precise meanings meanings that are not to the whim or our own creative genius, but are unpacked through a study of the history of the day and the grammar God chooses to put it in. So yes, the public proclamation of the Word of God is science. We have fixed laws of hermeneutics and interpretation, but you know this proclamation of preaching is also art, allowing certain individuality from one preacher to the next. It is what what has been called preaching through personality. You take two men who are very different men, who take the exact same truth and prepare sermons, you're going to have two totally different sermons. The exact same truth proclaimed in a different way through the human instrumentality of their own personality and their own uh, weakness and strengths. I remember in preaching labs in seminary where you had to sign up and, uh, uh, on, a, on a list as to what you were going to preach on and, and you would gather on a couple of day, mornings a week and we would have uh, preaching labs where you'd preach to each other and we'd sit around in, in chairs and we would, uh, well the negative way of putting it would be dissect, but we would uh, encourage each other with how we could improve on our delivery of God's truth. The reason why you'd sign up for different passages is so that any two guys weren't preaching on the same passage. In the providence of God, one Tuesday or Thursday, whatever it was, this one guy and I both were preaching from the exact same text in the book of James. And what you heard that morning, that that, that class that day, probably t- that lab taught us more about preaching than many lectures did because what we observed that day between when, when I preached and when this other guy preached was the exact same passage, the exact same truth and two totally different sermons given through the instrumentality of the two different individuals that were proclaiming that truth that morning. Any difference however is in the packaging and the presentation, the substance is the same. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 4 2. And the 2 Timothy 4 is sacred ground to any faithful preacher. 2 Timothy 4 is marching orders to any church that desires to be healthy, blessed by God, flourishing, used by the Spirit. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Sober words penned by the Apostle Paul, these last words of Paul when he says in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, he says, I solemnly, I soberly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. This is just his introductory remarks before he gets to the point. With a recognition that God is going to judge His church. God's going to judge His followers. God's going to judge those that proclaim His Word. Then comes the command in verse 2. Preach the Word. How can so many churches miss the point of ministry? They Uh, avoid preaching at the expense of administration or visitation or any other parts of pastoral shepherding. But the main goal is to equip God's people to proclaim His truth to His people so that God will sanctify His people in the truth for His Word is truth. Preach the Word. What's so difficult about what God has said for us to do. Knowing the sacred book is inspired by God and not only finds its source in God, but you look at the power source of the Word, the accomplishment, the profitability of the Word of God, that it is powerful enough to lead people to salvation. James tells us that in James chapter 1. But by, the, by God's Word, we are birthed forth into His kingdom. And it's not only powerful enough to save a sinner, but to sanctify the saint. To make who was once an obstinate rebel against God a useful tool in the hands of the master. So it's powerful to save and to sanctify. And so the faithful minister must must faithfully feed the flock with the pure milk of the word of God. 1 Peter 2, 1-3. Feed them with the pure milk of the Word of God. There is a dearth of biblical preaching, leaving evangelicals weak and flabby, starving for spiritual truth susceptible to the ravages of the enemy, not built up in the Most High faith. There is a direct link, a direct line to a lack of power in the pulpit. Because no church rises higher than the pulpit. Praise God for people like the Puritans when they when they came over and they erected structures of worship. They set even set up the house of worship so that the centrality of everything was done was the proclamation of the truth of of the word of God. All eyes front and center. Let's hear from the word of God. That was the priority. Biblical preaching is mandated by God. And as Paul says to his young preachers Timothy Titus this is what you're to be about. Make sure you speak the things concerning sound doctrine and preach the word. And he doesn't just say this in, in a unique place of the pastoral epistles. If you want to turn back a few books to his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. This is remarkable. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you notice with me the uh, first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 2? And, and then we'll set this passage before your mind to think about it for a moment. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 2.1, When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. What is, what is so significant about that first verse? What do you see in that verse that's so spectacular, especially to this congregation that he wrote to? Why does he start his conversation here with the negative? I did not come to you this way. Superiority of speech. Corinth was, was known as that place where there was, there was no greater uh, polished communicators. The, the Corinthian dilemma is this. As Greek culture spread, she was the centerpiece of ancient actors, dramatists, and orators. The greatest of the speechers was here. The most eloquent of speakers. And Paul says, I didn't come to you this way as the greatest orator the, the one with the greatest rhetorical ability. He says, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom when I proclaimed the testimony of God. Notice verse 2. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My message, my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God and you notice what he's doing here as he's developing his argument I don't want you to be convinced because I was an eloquent speaker let the word of God convince you you know when somebody tells me you know Pastor Parker because you you taught me this I I believe it and I said well if, if, if I'm just convincing you of something ignore it but if the spirit of God is gripping you with his truth that's another matter he said, I just want to arouse your emotion and give you the most logically consistent argument. Verse six, he says, so, so we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rules of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and the has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. In the crucified and risen Savior is all the wisdom of God, and He is who Paul came to proclaim to those at Corinth. Now let's set Paul's preaching apart from the, what we see and observe in our day. When, when Paul says to Timothy and to Titus, make sure you guys preach the word, there is no shortage in our day of preaching. No shortage in preaching. Not only are there churches, churches, where there's preaching, you can turn on any Christian radio, you can get a lot of preaching. There's, there's still cassettes around if you have a cassette deck. There's, there's uh, CDs, you can podcast websites. There's no shortage of preaching. But not all preaching is the same. There's a lot of gospel gimmicks and empty rhetoric. Much religious talk. But not the supreme authority and saving work of Christ on the cross. There are many expressions on cultural concern and political commentary, but no Christ. In a lot of pulpits today, there's a lot of positive thinking and inspirational stories, but no Christ that ought to concern us. To put it in the words, Of Paul to the Corinthians, there's a a lot of rhetoric, but little reality of the suffering Savior. I remember not too long ago in wherever I was preaching on here, in the introduction I'd worked in, you know, I I went to some area websites for some big churches. People see a lot of people, they think, well, God's really blessed this place, and I couldn't find anything about the gospel, anything about the crucified Savior on the exempt of sinners on their websites. No priority on Christ. Pulpits have everything except the main thing. They've got all the peripheral. And so the church is held captive by worldly mantras, crass pragmatism, self-sufficiency, positive thinking, and the like. In one contemporary book, one written by Michael Horton, Christless Christianity is a book he wrote. It's an alarming book that drives home this point that I'm trying to share with you this morning. In a small paragraph on the obsession with pragmatism, Horton writes, quote, He says, the church in America today is so obsessed with being practical, relevant, helpful, successful, and even well-liked that it mirrors the world itself. Aside from the packaging, there is nothing that cannot be found in most churches today that could not be satisfied by any number of secular programs and self-help groups. And he calls such popular religion Christless Christianity. He gets to the point that I'm trying to make. Horton further explains, quote, The focus still seems to be on us and our activity rather than on God and His work in Jesus Christ. Here, Jesus is a coach with a good game plan for our victory rather than a savior who has already achieved it for us. Salvation is more a matter of having our best life now than being saved from God's judgment by God himself. Sound familiar? So we can understand where Paul found himself in Corinth. Not a very different place than we, we, where we find our place in society. Though a different day and time. So Paul is the timeless model for every faithful expositor. We can't reinvent ministry. We can't reinvent preaching and still have the favor of heaven on it. When Paul says preach the word, there is a certain kind of address, of proclamation which brings God's blessing. Years ago, Donald Gray Barnhouse, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church down in Philly, delivered a message that aired on CBS radio and in this nationwide address, this noted Bible teacher speculated about what would be the most diabolical strategy that Satan could conspire against the church in the years to come. The years in which I would suggest to you we're living in. And to the astonishment of many listeners, Barnhouse imagined that all the bars in Philadelphia would be closed, prostitutes would no longer walk the streets, pornography would no longer be available, the streets would be clean, and all the city neighborhoods would be filled with law-abiding citizens. All swearing and cursing would be gone. Children would respectfully say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. Every church in town, Barnhouse added, would be packed to overflowing. There would be One church, uh, there would not be one church pew that could contain one more citizen. But what, you ask, could be wrong with this? Barnhouse delivered the knockout punch. He said the deadliest, most diabolical danger would be that in each of these filled to capacity sanctuaries, Jesus Christ would never be preached. He said in these pulpits there would be religious talk, but nothing said of the supreme authority and saving work of Christ upon the cross. There would be mention of morality, but no Christ. There would be expressions of cultural concern and political commentary, but no Christ. There'd be positive thinking, no inspirational stories, but no Christ. So there'd be all the external trappings of Christianity, but no reali- internal reality of the living Christ. That would be the most diabolical scheme of the devil. Tragically, too many churches and pulpits have everything except for the main thing, Christ. Exposition has been replaced with entertainment. Substituting theology with theatrics. Supplanting sound doctrine with sound checks. In many churches, there are are 20-minute pep talks filled with shallow cliches, self-health snippets, and bumper sticker slogans. If you've got a weak point in your sermon, you yell, here, add a little passion. They'll take it. They're amusing sermons, but not arresting. Clever, but not converting. Anemic and empty, leaving listeners starved for the Word of God. We cannot allow preaching to be shaped by cultural mandates of a godless society. Going back to what Paul penned to Timothy when he says, preach the Word, be ready in season, in other words, when it's popular and out of season when it's not so popular. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? Because there's time coming when they won't en- endure sound doctrine.
1: In other words,
0: what we looked at last week, they will not be a healthy ministry because there isn't sound doctrine. They'll not endure sound doctrine, but after their itchy ears, they'll accumulate teachers. Carnal, itchy ears want the charm over confrontation. They want to be captivated rather than challenged. And contrary to the Corinthians that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 2, we must choose doctrine over delivery. Substance over style. Any highfalutin language, using of big words. If you were in Corinth, practice in that. Ooh, ah, listen to him orate. Lloyd-Jones you remember what the doctor did before he became an expository preacher? He was a physician. And drawing on an analogy from his previous possession, uh, profession, this physician turned preacher, Lloyd Jones says, "I never let the patient write the prescription." Yeah, that'll preach. Paul, Paul says, don't cave in to the ear ticklers who want to be stroked and caressed. Never let the listener dictate what or how you preach. That just speaks more to the beauty of the Word of God, of consecutive exposition. When you take the Word of God, a book at a time, and you unpack it a chapter at a time, Paragraph after paragraph, verse after verse, word after word. You don't skip around the uh, unpleasantries. The power is in the word convert. The power is in the word to sanctify. Not in the eloquence and the brilliance and the logic of Man. What a contrast to our day and age the Reformation was. That Reformation, which spread across Europe during the 16th century, turned the continent upside down, kingdoms tottering, Rome was shaking, and the church finally woke up. Martin Luther was asked to explain the success. The great reformer replied with an unwavering confidence in the power of God's word, and this is what he declared. He says, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. And so this movement of God, this reformation of God, he said, was founded upon the unshakable footing of God's truth. Nothing's changed in the last 500 years. In this hour, preachers still rely exclusively on the power of God in their ministry if they're looking for God to bless it. So that needs to be where our our confidence lies. If I were to go a little bit further... Think about some of the doctrines of Scripture we've studied together. We have studied about inspiration. I believe that's the last subject that Pastor Joey addressed here in Adult Sunday School, which you launch into a discussion on the inerrancy of Scripture and its infallibility. So connect some of these doctrines of Scripture to what I'm suggesting to you through expository preaching today. Since the Bible is inspired by God, preaching a whole book most fully reflects God's intent in any given book. Not just hopscotching around from one verse to the other, but taking the book and unpacking it a verse at a time. He gave and inspired whole books. You look at each New Testament epistle. They are written to a local church congregational situation. So if we want to know how to uh, get through the muddy waters of our day, don't substitute for the Word of God which addressed issues in its day. Because the meaning's been frozen in time. There's the need for for, uh, study of the culture and the history and the land and the grammar of the book. To unpack so if we really believe that the Bible is inspired by God that drives us to the conviction of expository preaching where we just take a book of the Bible and unpack its meaning if we really believe that the Bible is infallible that it does not err every verse every chapter and every paragraph deserves special sermonic attention teaching one principal truth from that text. And if the goal of exegesis and exposition is to communicate the author's intent written in his individual book, we want to understand all that that author has to say. So we'll look at the previous contents, the verses leading up to it, and the subsequent context. You know, this, this is what promotes interpretive accuracy. When you take a book of the Bible and you just walk through, like we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. Each passage is interpreted and explained on the basis and in relation to the others. Those which were before it, and those that come after, following the writer's flow of thought throughout his book. Not to mention that we're following the mind of God since since He didn't speak in verses but in paragraphs and pericopes and entire books. So to unpack a book is to hear God speak and watch His mind move from point A to point Z. We've got one book that we are to be experts on unpacking the Bible made up by individual books. So we don't just want to read bits and pieces here and there, helter-skelter, with no organized path of going through it. So Paul says, preach the Word. God is vitally concerned in proclaiming what He said and present it how Scripture indicates. Against philosophies and humanistic empty thinking, there must be the truth. The truth of the Word of God. Let me encourage you to think about biblical convictions that would distinguish a healthy ministry. It starts to with the understanding given in the pastoral epistles of sound doctrine that we're all about healthy teaching. How do we disseminate that healthy teaching? Through the clear exposition of Scripture. We simply expose people to the text of the Word of God. Here's what it says and here's what it means. We explain it to them and then we exhort them to obey it so we expose people to the text we explain the text we exhort them to obey it we go home we continue in life until jesus comes and we come back the next lord's day and what do we do we expose people to the text we explain the text we exhort them to obey the text week in week out unpacking the mind of christ revealed in scripture it's not a novel concept this is god's prescription For a ministry that would be healthy. Any uh, thoughts or questions before we conclude, as this starts to rattle around in your mind and put this paradigm together? All right. Pray with me, would you? Father, we do desire to be individually healthy and corporately healthy as a church. Continue to establish and unpack and inform our convictions by the Word of God that we are to be about sound doctrine and we are to be about expositional preaching, knowing that it's not right to come up with some human logic and then go find a text to hang it, hang it on. We want to hear from you. We don't want to practice eisegesis reading into the text our own preconceived ideas. We want to extract from the text, practice exegesis, extracting from your text what you have indeed said, knowing that the meaning of the scriptures is the scripture, and if we get the meaning wrong, we don't have the scriptures that you promised to bless. And yet if we spend the hard effort, the perspiration of Rightly handling your word, you promise that that word will not return to you a void, it will accomplish the purpose you sent it forth, both that purpose of salvation and that purpose of sanctification. God, would you sanctify your church, make us a healthy ministry because we follow you as prescribed in your word. Pray these things in your matchless name. Amen.